Don't start the podcast before the podcast. This is the goods right here. Welcome back, Jammers, to episode six of the FS Jam podcast. This week, we will be speaking to Brandon from Blitz.js. So far, we spoke a lot to everybody at Redwood.js, and while we love them and they love talking to us, there's other sides to this community that we want to focus on as a podcast. One of them is Blitz, and the other one is Bison and anyone else making a new solution that would fall into FS Jam. So let's get to it. Brandon, why don't we start by talking a bit about yourself, you know, what's your Twitter username, how people can gain contact with you, and what Blitz is. Sure, so I'm Brandon. I am Flybear on the interwebs, so that's F-L-Y, and then my last name, which is B-A-Y-E-R, and that's because I'm a pilot, so Flybear on Twitter, GitHub, etc. And I'm the creator of Blitz, so excited to be here and talk about it. Super succinct and even has a has a good story for it. I like that. We're really excited to have you on. We have talked about Blitz frequently throughout the course of this podcast. And so it's great to have you here to talk to you about it instead of just about it. And it's been really cool for me. I actually first started learning Blitz back when I started learning Redwood, and I ended up realizing that to like have the type of impact I wanted to have on one or the other I kind of had to do one or the other and so I ended up going more deeply into Redwood but I've had an eye on what what you've been doing this whole time and I have a lot of respect for what you do in terms of how you think about community building and you do talks like a madman like me so I really love that I think to start off here we should say that we have lumped these three frameworks Redwood, Bison, and Blitz into the FS Jam category, but you've never really categorized Blitz as full stack jam stack. You said it was a full stack React framework. And I talked about this on our very first episode that this was what I, I first got into is this idea of how do we build a full stack React application. Yeah. I've never been like a huge fan of Jamstack. Like I'm not necessarily against the ideas. Earlier on, like a few years ago, I think I was kind of headed more that direction towards you know, just outsourcing everything to as many different services as possible. But after actually doing that, I realized that it's quite a pain in the butt to stitch together everything. Like if you're using Auth0 for authentication, then it's like difficult to run locally. There's a lot of challenges there on all the integration stuff. I really wanted something uh, more like Rails. Ruby on Rails was how I got into web development. Before that, I was doing C and C++ and embedded Linux. Um, and then I learned Ruby on Rails. So that was my introduction to web programming and I, I loved it. Um, but then eventually I tried to do more complex stuff on the in the UI, in the website, and just, it was hard. <laughs> and so I, I kind of like started learning Ember and it just, I didn't really get anywhere with that. I started learning React and then it was like, bam, it like clicked in my head. Or it was like, I think like React does. It's a very clear mental model, it matches how I think about stuff. I was on the React bandwagon for you know a while and then using other various things for the server, like Ruby on Rails for the API, Hasura for the API. I kind of became increasingly frustrated with having to set up that separate backend and the front end and messing with the API. And I really wanted some way, somehow, I wanted someone else to make a solution so that I would not have to worry about that and just go back to like a simpler uh, Ruby on Rails type developer experience. Just for people like me who have never 
really touched Ruby and Rails. How would you describe that experience as simply as possible without going too obviously deep? Well, I mean, the, the big thing, like if you know about React and Jamstack and stuff and APIs, with Ruby on Rails, there's no API, okay? So you can literally access your database from your, your UI template if you want to. Typically, you have a controller layer there that the controller talks to the database. And is that with active record that that is happening? Yeah, yeah. There's active record, then the controllers, and then the view templates. But you could literally just, you know, it's, it's everything's server rendered. It, it's very simple to like add a field somewhere. You add it in your database and you add it to your view. You don't have to add it to your API server and then to your client, you know, to fetch it. It's much simpler. Do you think Ruby and Rails is the past? and things like Blitz is the future, even though it borrows a lot of the same concepts. How spicy should I be? It's up to you. I don't think Ruby on Rails is dead. It's dead for me, but it's definitely not dead. There's still tons of people that, that love it and there's new people learning it all the time. There are people productive with it and that's more power to them, stay there. But there is this kind of a middle ground between people who love React and there's people that are have been doing React apps for a while and they're kind of starting or they have been going going back to Rails because they're like, this is just too complicated. I need something simpler. And then there's other people that are still in Rails, but they're like, oh, I really wish I could do more powerful stuff like with React. And Blitz is kind of that middle ground for people who want the Rails experience, but with React. Yeah, this really resonates. I feel like Almost every person at this point who's been on the podcast has told a version of this story. Monarch and Tom, both of them were like, yeah, started on Rails. It was awesome. And then, you know, you get into all this modern front end stuff. And with Tom, he was also like, yeah, he really liked React as a, a paradigm for what it's supposed to do, which is the view layer, not the whole application. It's interesting because we're all coming out from different angles. Like you are a bootcamp student also, I think, as like I am. And you're, you're coming at it from, you came out of the boot camp and now been working for many, many years, whereas I'm someone who's kind of like still in the thick of it. I think the, we also saw the pain with the jam stack and that's why there's the full stack jam stack is because the stack <laughs> wasn't quite working the way people really wanted it to be. And it's like full stack jam stack is kind of the ideal of where we want jam stack to be because we also feel that, the, that same pain. I have a question that I don't think we've answered even with Tom or uh, Monarch. Every time people have moved from Ruby to things like React, they say, oh, it's because we want React. But what was React replacing in, you know, the Rails application? jQuery. So, so okay, so the main reason was to, to real give it jQuery out the window. <laughs> yeah, because with jQuery, it was imperative. So you would just be manipulating the DOM directly and you end up with all this spaghetti code react because of the one-way data flow fixes that and and that's what made it such that's why you would see those like like your view is a function of state yeah so that was kind of the the idea okay yeah so i have a problem that a user interface with my user interfaces i want to upgrade my user interfaces now i go down react and then it starts getting very messy very fast so why can't you just use react as the front end to a rails app like what's the challenge there you can, but you have to you have to build the API, like either REST API or GraphQL API. And you can do that, but it's just work that I don't want to do. And then the other thing that, that was also a big thing for me is TypeScript and fully typed a language. With Ruby, there's no types and there's just magic galore and you never know what's going to happen. And if it's going to work, you have to run every single thing 
to make a change, run it, see if does it work. There's no static type checking to give you guidance as you're coding. And after using TypeScript, going back to Ruby, it's like, it, it feels like you're totally lost in the middle of nowhere. The more time I spend with TypeScript, yeah, the harder and harder it becomes to, to go back to writing JavaScript. I uh, built a quick project to test something in Redwood the other day. I've built my Redwood project with TypeScript, but I was literally just doing it with JavaScript. And I was like, I can't click the files. Just let me click the files to go through them and let me click to see the declarations and the types and that. And it's just, you just get so lost so easy without it. To me, it's like, soon as you go everything as like a full project, 100% in TypeScript, it's just worlds better. Like, you, it's just unbearable not to, to use it. So you were having issues with the API, and when I hear you talk about Blitz, the, the no API layer tends to be one of the main features. So can you kind of talk about what you mean by that? We abstract the API layer into a compile step. So we call it zero API in quotes. It's like serverless, still has servers, but zero API still has an API. There is an API, it does do fetching from the client and so forth but that API is abstracted into a compile step. When you're developing your application, you don't have to think about the API. You're not building a REST API or a GraphQL API. You're not adding API endpoints. You're not using fetch or any type of client. You're just, from a developer perspective, is write functions that run on the server, import that function directly into your component and pass it to a use mutation hook or use query hook. It's just ready to go that function import at compile time is swapped out for a small RPC client that makes the API call over the network. Could we talk about what React Query is doing here? Because I know you're using that for the client. I don't know a ton about React Query. I know that it's kind of compared somewhat to Apollo client, but it's not exactly the same because I know it's not just GraphQL. It can do all sorts of things. So I'd be kind of curious to hear just like a brief description of what React Query is and how it fits into your stack. Anytime you have a client that's making API calls and you get data from the server to the client, you very quickly want to be able to cache that data because let's say you, you navigate a page and then you go back to the page, you don't want to wait for the data to be refetched from the network. You want it to be there instantly. Apollo Client does that. It has a cache management system. Uh, React Query does this, but it's uh, API agnostic, so it doesn't require GraphQL or REST or anything. It's just it's a very simple kind of building block for, for caching server data. And so we use that, so it manages the caching and then cache uh, revalidation. Um, it does really nice things like if you leave the window and come back, it'll automatically refetch the latest data from the server. And you can turn that off if you need. And then also has like polling ability in it, has ability to modify the cache for optimistic updates. So it's a really powerful tool for managing all of that cached server state. So I think this brings us on to a really interesting subject where all the frameworks are trying to achieve the same points, but differently. With Redwood, a lot of people get confused because they don't understand the blocks that it's built on top of, like, a, uh, like Apollo connecting the API to the front end. But would you say Blitz is more standalone where you don't need to worry about React Query or you know how these things connect because the framework is abstracting it? Yeah, I think the answer is yes. Um, we get very little questions about React Query or like how's that working. The Blitz magic is very minimal, which is one thing I really like about it. I think Rails does too much magic. But with Blitz, this API layer, it's auto-generated. It, it sounds like it's 
is like magical, it's hard to understand, but really it's, you can think about it as just calling a function over the network. That's all it's doing. And so we abstract just that pipe over the network, if you will. There's no other magic there, uh, really. And so if you return something on the server, that exact same thing comes out on the client. And then vice versa, if you call a function on the client, that exact whatever's in there goes on the, the file on the server. And so we handle the serialization and everything, so everything is perfectly passed through. Do you find that it covers 99% of all situations? I many people don't need to go above and beyond. The default solution is good enough 99% of the time. Yeah, I mean, maybe not quite that high, but pretty high. One thing right now, if you're doing file uploads and you're going through the server, you need a, you just need to stand up a, a raw API endpoint things like that, or webhooks, you would have an API endpoint. But if you're just sending data back and forth from the front end, then yeah, the, the blitz queries and mutations are pretty much cover everything you need. Do you want to say something, Anthony? Yeah, I want to go back to what we were just talking about, about the different layers, because this is something that actually, for me, when I was first learning Blitz and Redwood, the first thing that really helps me learning them together was seeing the Prisma crossover, because then once I saw when you're actually using Prisma and you're not using the Blitz or the Redwood type of commands. Once I saw like the same thing that was happening in both of them, I was like, okay, this is neither of these projects. I ended up being confused around Next.js because I didn't know anything about Next.js. So in terms of like server-side rendering versus static generation, like that whole thing, like you get all that in Blitz and I didn't understand what you're getting from Next and what you weren't. Yeah, that that's something I can relate to. It's great because Next is becoming such like a lingua franca in React. Like people love Next because Next is awesome. Yeah, I think Next.js, in the same way that um, like React fits our a lot of our mental models and it, it just kind of fits, I think Next.js does the same thing at a higher level. So it's not just at the component level of rendering the UI, but it's at the, the page level, whether it's going to be a server-side render page, static page, and then the routing and then also the API routes. The, we, we basically take that paradigm a step further with queries and mutations. In Next.js for a page, you export a default component in a pages folder, and that's a page. For API route, you export a default function from an API route, and that's your API handler. And then with Blitz, you have queries and mutations, and you export a default function that's in a query folder or a mutations folder. It's turned into an actual a live query, you know, that you can run over the network. Aren't those functions your API then? Yeah. Yeah, essentially. You're writing a tiny, tiny API. You're writing server logic. So the same way in Rails, you have to write server logic. You have your your controllers. The API to me is, well, HTTP API is you have to manage all the details of getting the data from the server to the client, where in Blitz you don't. That's handled for you, but you still have to do your own business logic on both ends. In this case, so Blitz is built on top of Next.js. Say I start working on a Next.js application, really bare bones, you know, I've built a UI. To what I understand, as soon as I need to start ticking into a server, that's where you start seeing the limits of Next, and that's where Blitz then takes it a step further. Yeah, and I don't know if I would go so far to say it's limits, but just lack of structure. Yeah, like anything is possible. Like we built Blitz on top of Next, so... <laughs> I remember when I booted up a Next.js project, it had an API folder, and I instantly deleted it because I was like, oh, I don't need an API with uh, Next.js. But I'm pretty sure it was literally a serverless like API folder, isn't it? 
a prominent kind of deploy target for Blitz's render, right? Can you talk a little bit about why render kind of fits Blitz well? The main thing right now is it's super easy to host the database and the server on render. So you have a single YAML file and you can define your database in there and your server and connect them together. It's super fast to deploy. My personal kind of preference for deployment is still Vercel for Blitz and then hosting the database probably on DigitalOcean and use their connection pool. But it's more difficult because you have to have a connection pool to deploy Vercel. But then the benefit is that it's serverless and all your, your API endpoints and everything are serverless functions. And so it just scales automatically. You don't have to worry about it rebooting. You don't have to worry about all that sort of stuff. We're all about that in Redwood. That's like the whole deal. The one of the most interesting things that I guess you could explain, there's kind of two sides to Next.js as in a server layer. There's an API and then there's the internal Next.js server to I understand, as that does the ISSG on like a server. I'm not quite sure because I've built something with ISSG, but I've never really figured out how it worked. Next does have some of its own internal APIs that it generates and that it uses at the framework level. Right. Okay, yeah. Got you. Like, as a user, you don't really need to know about it. Okay. So, the ISSG, or what they call it these days, and the SSR and all that, that's Next.js's internal APIs. I combined with their integration with Vercel, I think is what really makes a lot of that, that possible. Yeah, I think so. I don't know, is this something that you probably know if you took a blitz application away from Vercel, put it on render are you actually losing functionality because to what i understood about next was a lot of the functionality came because you deployed it on Vercel. no you actually don't lose any functionality the Vercel team is very diligent about any features that they add they make sure that it runs the, the features work everywhere so for example their new image component when you deploy to Vercel, it uses IMGIX, the ImageX service. But whenever you run Blitz Start, they have code in there that uses some like NPM library that does that for you without using a third-party service. But then you have a config option. You can you can opt into a third-party service and use IMGIX if you want. The only thing that you don't have is whether it's server or serverless. And it's interesting that you bring up DigitalOcean because I've actually hosted my Redwood app in server full so i've hosted it on ubuntu pm2 behind nginx and i saw that you recommended people running caddy as a proxy layer any reasons why the caddy thing was only for running the prisma studio in production so prisma studio gives you this nice ui and in development you just run prisma studio and you can access your database but i wanted this same functionality in production so so for a client of mine, I deployed Prisma Studio to render behind a, a caddy a reverse proxy that adds HTTP basic authentication because Prisma Studio doesn't have any authentication. So that so now I have Prisma Studio running at a URL that my client, they can log in and access their raw data. I just want to say that's a really good idea. I want to do it myself because every time I have a business code founder and he's like, oh, this data needs tweaking. I'm like, Oh, I need to run this command, boot it up, tweak it, and then that. I'm just like, I just want to host it somewhere and you'd be like, here, just tweak it yourself. There's a link on the Blitz wiki on how to do that. That's really cool that you guys have a wiki, by the way. It's on GitHub. I don't see that very often. Like, 
you have like usually the the awesome like an awesome blitz repo but you guys want the the wiki wrath yes we have an awesome blitz repo too <laughs> nice yeah both yeah so what's the difference between hosting blitz on server four or serverless to you how much devops do you want to do when you're deploying your own server you have to make sure it's up that it's actually running you have to make sure that it has enough memory that you know all these sort of things were serverless you can pretty much deploy and forget it do you find that serverless is not quite ready for production in your eyes as like feature four sometimes a bit slow not quite as good as running an actual server yet serverless is definitely ready for production what is difficult currently is integrations um, and setting up things. For example, setting up the database. You have to go to a whole different service to set up a database. You have to add a connection pool. And there's a bunch of steps and a bunch of things that can go wrong. But once you get a setup and working, then then it's, it's pretty good. I, I would love to have Vercel, they, they call themselves this deployment platform or serverless for front-end teams, something like that. We need a thing like Vercel, but for full stack apps that help you do the database side, serverless queuing, background processing, all of that. I think DigitalOcean is actually working on it. I don't know if it's serverless, but they have got this Git way of uploading your code and it just... Yeah, so that's, that's similar to Render. But what I want is serverless. So that, you know, doing server is fairly easy with Render, with Heroku, and now DigitalOcean. But we need that really easy experience with serverless. You would need Netlify to buy FaunaDB. It wouldn't have to be that far. You know, it can just be at the integration level, but the platform does just makes it really easy. I joke because I, I mess around a lot with FaunaDB and these kinds of frameworks. And I agree with you, getting the serverless dream is like, it's so enticing. But it's like, you start trying to like bash these pieces together and you're like, oh my God. <laughs> so let's go on to authentication. My first question, and it's probably really stupid to ask, if there's no API, how is it secure? How is it not going to be uh, hacked if I don't control that? Well, there is an API. It's just, you don't have to build it yourself. Whether you have an API or not, you still have to do authentication to make sure that the bad guys don't get your data. Yeah, and, and so authentication is done through third-party clients. What are your current client list? That's actually not correct. So by default, authentication is self-hosted. Self-hosted, okay. You provide a bunch of different versions. So you have AuthN and AuthZ set up by default with sign-in, login, and logout. And then you can also do session management and then you can also bring in stuff like passport. So you're, you're providing like a ton of different functionality in terms of like different ways to do authentication. Yeah. So let me try to break it down here real simple. So session management is how you track that the same person is, is making multiple requests to your database and then how you authenticate them is a different thing. It's how do you verify that they are who they are, not just that they're the same person from request to request. So we have session management built into Blitz and you can use that built-in session management with username and password, which we have by default. You can also use it with third-party login, like with Twitter or GitHub or social login. And we have a Passport.js adapter that makes it really easy to plug in any Passport strategy into our session management system and use that third party for authentication. But then you still use the internal session management, which is really great for, for the full stack nature. It's all you know nicely integrated. And then we'll probably add other adapters in the future. Yeah, I saw this thing called Super Tokens. I'd never heard of this before. This is like an open source JWT thing. 
Super Tokens is a company, I think it's one of the most secure um, authentication systems on the planet right now, probably, or at least widely available. The CTO of Super Tokens is Rashab Potter, and he is the brains behind our session management. So the Blitz session management is based off of Super Tokens. It doesn't use Super Tokens directly, but it takes their lessons and learnings and, and how they do that, and we bring that into Blitz. Right now, we only have opaque tokens that are stored in the, into the database. So this is similar to how Ruby on Rails does authentication. You take a token, you stick it in the database. When a new request comes in, you look it up in the database to see if it's there and valid. And then if so, it's, you're good to go. We're also going to add a more advanced session management that uses JWTs that will have short-lived access tokens plus long-lived refresh tokens for maximum security and performance. That's amazing to hear because I find security is one of these things that a lot of people, they're doing things by themselves. They're very generalist. Security is one of them things where you're like, am I going to get hacked? So it's the more trust you can put in the framework as the framework is, you know, doing these things for you, the easier time you can spend on doing other things. The reason I say that is, for example, the way Redwood has gone, Redwood is putting that auth trust into other companies like Auth0, Magic, uh, Superbase. But it seems you've gone the other way where you're saying trust the framework, the framework's being the key factor into this uh, security. What do you think the benefits are? One of them that I can see straight off the top of my head is monetary. You're not paying the third party company to uh, obviously keep your users' data. Yeah, for sure. The other huge benefit is ability to run it locally and everything like works. You don't have to have internet access to test it locally. You don't have to set up webhooks and ingrok and stuff like that. The other thing is that since we have our own full stack authentication system, everything works together really nice. Because whenever you're doing server-side rendering and APIs, there's a lot of different places that you need like cookies and we can make that a better experience when it's all integrated. Yeah, because you're already buying into the whole integrated monolith idea. So it wouldn't make sense to just say, oh, this one thing we should actually pull out. You know, it's if you can get it all baked in, then that's what's going to ensure it's going to be done correctly. Yep. So did you already kind of have like the idea of what you wanted beforehand? Or did you look at a bunch of different solutions, then kind of suss them out? Or is this something that like you just kind of knew because you've done a lot of this in the past? Or auth? Yeah, yeah. Well, so after I started Blitz, I was like looking around. There's like Passport, but it's, it's kind of old. And, you know, it's like, um, I'm not sure about this. And somehow I think a, a friend told me about Super Tokens. And I looked it up and I was like, well, this looks really nice. Like, it looked, you know, re really secure and so forth. And so I reached out to, to them and they're like, well, yeah, we'll, we'll help you. <laughs> Very thankful to them. That's cool. Yeah, because I remember when you were building it, it seemed like a massive task. Yeah, it took a while. I've never actually looked up super tokens before, but they literally say we're the alternative to Auth0 and obviously AWS Cog Nito. Or that thing everyone likes. Uh, so let's get into the some of the Blitz community. You've really put a lot of emphasis on community building in Blitz and putting community first. Basically what I did was I built the community before the framework. Because when I, when I tweeted out about the initial tweet back in February that said, hey, I'm building this, uh, Ruby on Rails equivalent for React apps. I didn't even have a GitHub repo or anything. I just had a couple hundred lines of prototype code on my computer. But the tweet basically went viral in the tech world. So a lot of people got really excited. And one of my, my things was in that uh, announcement was I need people to help me. 
And so just let me know if you're interested. And I, I got somewhere between 40 and 60 people responded interesting and helping. And then I've had a decent chunk of those stuck around since the very beginning. Communities, yeah, has always been first from the very beginning. Was the name Blitz a community decision or was that your own? No, I named it myself before I announced it. And I'm not quite sure. I can't really remember how I exactly got it, but it's, I think uh, everybody likes it pretty well. And uh, a funny question was, what was that prototype called, if you can remember? It was called Blitz. It was called Blitz. Okay, so I, I started the prototype one week before I announced it. It was a very quick process from when I, I decided, hey, I'm going to do this thing. Because I was on a phone call with a friend, a Ruby on Rails developer, and we were going back and forth about the trade-offs between Ruby on Rails and then React apps and this whole API thing. And I was like, you know what? I think we can build this right now with Next.js and Prisma. It was like a week later whenever I announced that I was working. Every good framework needs a good origin story. And then my second question, why purple? I don't know. like purple myself. To me, it signifies kind of royalty and splendor and majesty. And Why orange, Chris? Why orange? I just love asking people why colors because it literally is. I like that color and uh, it wasn't Facebook or Twitter or Snapchat's color. So uh, who cares? That's why I went for the multicolored logo on my startup. It's just got five colors in. It's like, oh, we'll go with any of them colors. You had put out this Blitz job board. This is something that I haven't really seen a lot of other meta frameworks kind of of this size, like really pushing for getting out and getting jobs in this type of stuff. So I think this is really great. And I'm kind of curious how you're thinking about this. Sure. It's been a few months ago now. I found a couple Blitz job postings, like in the wild on Upwork or something. And I was, my mind was blown. It was like, what? There's already people hiring Blitz developers? Like, that's like a signal that like we've made some level of, of success. And then one of the, someone in the community was just like, hey, I'm, I'll build a job board. And so they build a job board. And so there we go. And then we also have a jobs channel in Slack. We're seeing just every so often we have a new Blitz job come up. That's pretty cool. And so what are the jobs for? Like what types of projects, what types of companies? Well, they're mostly building brand new apps from scratch using Blitz. So dashboard stuff. Yeah, I think so. Talking about jobs and that, when someone comes to Blitz, do you think they tend to be beginners in React and these kind of things or more intermediate or more advanced? And what kind of jobs are looking for which range of developers as well? I think it's a pretty wide mix of people who come to Blitz. There are definitely people who it's their first time using React is with Blitz, which is cool. And then there's also people that are very experienced and there's people coming from Ruby on Rails, people coming from Laravel. So it's a pretty wide mix. And the, the jobs specifically, I don't recall exactly what they was looking for. It's probably more mid-range, but I don't recall. I think it's amazing the people that their first time using things like React is with Blitz, that first time that they're then going to go, how is it like without Blitz? They're going to go, oh my gosh, I'm going back to Blitz. I'm using this forever. Yeah, my dream is that Blitz makes it easy for people to come in and learn full stack development, being able to build an entire thing and deploy their entire app from scratch, which is what got me excited back with Ruby on Rails in the beginning. Yeah, perfectly describes what got me into this as well. One of the big things that I wonder with Blitz Obviously, Redwood makes it quite publicly that they have a GraphQL API and that you can use it for other clients. 
does Blitz have any plans to go into other clients like React Native or and how will that be handled if you already have a thought? Definitely. The first step that we will do after 1.0 is generate client libraries. Oh, let me let me back up. So the generate auto-generated API today, you can use it directly from a mobile app. You just kind of have to add in your own API endpoints and stuff. And so it might be a little tricky to keep it in sync if you're making changes. But we can add a command that will generate a client library in any language that will make it easy to just call those API endpoints from, from another app. That's one step. Okay. In terms of a client, you mean a client like Prisma 2, so a callable library. Yeah. Maybe like uh, Firebase has a client library, you know, that you can run on the client. Similar. Just to give it perspective, because I know it's such a hot topic of why should you pick like Redwood over Blitz? And people go, well, I could need to add an app one day. You are thinking about that. And this is something you will go down. And with something like Redwood, you go, well, you'd use Apollo client to communicate with Blitz. You're going to handle the communication between both the clients. Yeah, so the first step is just generating a client that you can, you know, use and we can do that in multiple languages. And then we can go a step farther with any JavaScript based apps like React Native. We can, I'm pretty sure, I haven't prototyped it yet, but I'm pretty confident I can make it happen to have the same zero API experience with React Native apps. So you have your Blitz app in the same repo, you have your React Native app, and then if you want to call a function like a query, you simply import that query into your, your React Native code. And then we have some way to uh, compile time to swap that um, React Native code out with an API call. So this is a step beyond the manual client library that is like the separate thing you kind of have to think about and use. This really unifies it into one massive monolith where you don't have to think about any APIs anywhere and you just import server code anywhere you want and it just works. That's kind of blown my mind. If that can, I've worked on both React Native apps and React apps. And if that can be done, I'd be like, mind blown. I'm pretty sure, I'm confident it can be. Obviously, you've not tried it yet, but do you think you will be going with Expo as a base or a custom React Native base? That's a good question. Ideally, it would work with both. Yeah. If you don't know what Expo is, it is a client that sits on top of the React Native code. It gives really cool features out of the box, like quick reload, scan a QR code to instantly open the app, a lot of default modules. So like the standard date picker from iOS and Android, it will automatically include that so you don't have to do it. But obviously uh, React Native is forever changing and changing a lot faster than React. So all the answers are still not there for everybody of how we're going to include it into FS Jam and I think it's going to be really, really cool when we start seeing multi-client support because that's when people will look at it again, I believe. It's like, oh, it's no good if it can just do my website. Well, no, actually, you can do your website, your app, and anything else you're going to include. Yep. Curious what we're talking about here. Does this relate to the isomorphic domain layer or is that a, a different idea? That's a different idea. Okay, cool. That's a very long post by um, Rudy Yardley, who's another member of the team. It's epic, like definitely put a lot of work into it. And it's a, it's a really fascinating idea. So that's, so that's a different, would that be a different way of solving a similar issue? Or is this like totally has nothing to do with this at all? The idea with that is ability to have offline apps. Okay, so offline 
Uh, there's like offline second, offline first. Anyway, many apps need at some point some type of offline functionality and it's really difficult, right? Those type of things that are really difficult are the ideal candidates for a framework to do the hard work to solve and then everybody can benefit. And so that's basically what we're doing with Blitz and the API layer, we're making that easy. And so it'd be amazing to be able to do that with offline and somehow, you know, make that work. That's an even higher level, like harder thing. And so that could be, like, who knows, you know, that could take a while. But yeah, that's an interesting post about some ideas on how that could happen. Do you remember when Create React App had a service worker by default? And if you did something wrong, it would brick your client? <laughs> yep. Yeah, I remember that too. <laughs> yeah, I do remember that. Good times. Talk to us about some of your key members and what they're building with Blitz. I know Simon. So Simon Knott is a level two maintainer and he built our custom serialization library called SuperJSON that we use so that dates are automatically serialized and deserialized and everything else in JavaScript. And then he's building a startup called Quirrell that is background processing, async processing and queues for Next.js and for Blitz. So how it works is his service manages the queues and things, and then it calls back to your app to actually handle the processing. You can define your handlers, your queue handlers in your code, and then you import those handlers basically into anywhere else in your app and you can add to that queue. So it's, it's pretty slick. And have you found that as Simon was building Quirrell that a lot of feedback has came back on how to make Blitz better? No, not much. Well, a little bit, but not too much. His core app, I'm not sure if it's Blitz because it's like entirely backend. Repeater.dev is like the version of this in Redwood and it's also like built with Redwood, but like it's a Rails app. Yeah, but Quirrell is adding support for Redwood. So it's going to be interesting to see both of them just fight it out in the background. One question with Repeater. Does Repeater handle the processing or does it call back to your app? I think it just calls back to your app. And then your app will reprocess whatever you need to process. I'm actually, back in September, I converted one of my client apps from Rails to Blitz. It was kind of a, a Frankenstein app. It had Rails and Hasura and Next.js all together. So now it's mostly Blitz. There's still, Ruby on Rails is still running the migrations. Just a few things I need to, to switch off of there to be fully Blitz. But in that process, it definitely was like, oh, this needs fixed, this needs fixed, this needs improved. That definitely helped us some things. Because it's, it's that thing, as we brought up quickly with repeaters, you know, it's one thing to build the framework, but then it's a totally different thing to use it and actually build something with it. And you are a consultant, so people can pay for you for advice and some code. And when you get new clients do you try to say you should use blitz or do are they coming to you and say i want to use blitz here's some money um both both i did start on a, a brand new blitz project back in september 2 and then it kind of got stalled out and then there was another some other clients i i talked to that yeah they were they were fine for me to use blitz and that one did pan out either but i'm still busy on this this other app so that's awesome Cool. So kind of closing out here, why don't you just tell us a little bit about what you're really excited for in terms of like the future of Blitz? What's what's coming up? The near term is I'm excited to get official beta announcement out uh, very soon, hopefully within a couple of weeks. And then working towards 1.0, which is mainly fixing up all the bugs and kind of UX improvements and things, edge cases. So wrap that up in probably February 
around there maybe hopefully have a 1.0 launch so that'll be real exciting then i can focus more on on these future things like the mobile app react native integration so forth uh we've not brought it up but i know you're keeping a real tight um release strategy with is it lts support as well right now we aren't you're not but once we get to 1.0 i i'm planning to institute some type of release schedule like ember it's a very predictable release cycle they how ember does it every new stable release is in beta for six weeks and so it gives it a certain amount of time to work out any issues before it goes stable um, and then there's also a long-term release that's that's released every six months a new one to focus on stability and and you know that like there's all these standard processes to make sure that there's minimal bugs at each stage and the other thing that i think i remember you speaking about in your prisma 2 day talk that will obviously link in the description was that you're trying to keep breaking changes to a minimum how ember does breaking changes is they deprecate changes in a minor release and then in a major release they'll, they'll remove the deprecations it's always like very clear exactly like there's strict simver etc to the end users if you update your blitz app it's not going to be right that no longer works it's going to be that's no longer going to work in the next version and Next.js like basically never has any breaking changes. We'll probably won't go that far. We probably will have some breaking changes or potentially. Sometimes the best improvements require that. Yeah, we've had a couple of breaking changes for things like we used to have our forms in the, the web folder and then we abstracted it out. So that kind of broke some stuff. As long as you can clearly communicate it, and just give the steps of what it's gonna to take to fix, then especially with where most of these apps are at this stage, like it shouldn't be that hard to fix. Um, you just gotta give guidance. Yep. Awesome. It's been a really good episode. I'm sure we would love to have you back on again, but you're going to be back on soon for our Christmas special. Our Christmas special that's going to have David Price from Redwood, Brandon, Byers from obviously Blitz and Chris Ball from Bison. If you have any questions, tweet them at us and I'm sure we'll get around to them. What do you think about that, Brandon? That sounds awesome. It'll be fun. It's going to be really fun. And I'll try to talk the least. <laughs> yeah, thanks a lot for being here, Brandon. Like I said at the beginning, like I got a ton of respect for your work and I'm really excited to see, you know, where Blitz is going in the future. Cool. Thanks for having me. Thank you to Brandon for being on this episode we really appreciate it we have some good news we're now experimenting with two other channels we're experimenting with clips on twitter so short clips so if your backlog of podcasts is getting big well we're going to try and keep you up to date on twitter and facebook and instagram with the quick best bits of every episode and the other channel is now youtube we are now releasing the podcast on YouTube. It's not video form, it's just audio. So people who are at desktops or got YouTube Premium will be able to give it a listen. So we're really trying to make it accessible to wherever you are. If you have any comments or tips, please get in touch with us. And lastly, if you like this podcast, please review us on Google, Apple, anywhere that you get this podcast. And also tweet us because we really love to hear what you say. That's all from me and we'll speak to you next week. Mm-hmm.